1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. And likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. Your deepest calling is to serve God as you are, right where you are. Your deepest calling is to serve God as you are, right where you are. God's call, your family background, and your condition. Let's jump in. First, God's call. One of the problems in Corinth was the uncertainty about how our faith in Jesus affected existing relationships we had with our friends and with our spouses who didn't yet believe. So for example, if a couple who marries and they don't believe in Christianity, they didn't believe the gospel, and one of those spouses gets married, and that spouse wants to pursue a holy life, and they want to be pure and undefiled from the world, should they have sex with their unbelieving spouse? There was a camp in Corinth that said, no, be pure and undefiled. But Paul steps in and he says, no, commit to your covenant of marriage? Or should a wife, for example, who becomes a Christian, divorce her unbelieving husband in order to stay in a holy and right standing before the Lord? And Paul says, no, no, commit to your covenant of marriage. You aren't saved by works anyway. Commit and extend my kingdom and calling through your life right where you are. Faith never destroys the covenant of marriage, even in mixed marriages, of which some of you know all too well. It doesn't destroy the covenant of marriage because God ordained that marriage at the point of creation. It is a creational ordinance that is to be maintained and preserved and honored. You are to stay in the marriage in which you were called. 
But verses 15 and 16, you remember from last week, they do tell us that if an unbelieving spouse decides that they want out of the marriage, the believing spouse is to pursue peace and let them go. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't plead with them. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't ask them to reconsider for the sake of all the benefits of marriage and the benefits that marriage is to their children. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't try to work out all their details. And indeed, many couples, one who believes, one who doesn't, they work it out. They figure it out. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. But they make it work. But if an unbelieving spouse, notice it's the unbelieving spouse who leaves, not the Christian spouse. If the unbelieving spouse decides to leave, Paul says, let them go for the sake of peace. You don't know if perhaps reconciliation will be possible later. And you don't know that, in fact, it might be your witness to them in the way that you didn't nag them to death and you let them go. That they actually are won back to faith in Christ. So, Out of that context, in today's section, Paul continues to apply this principle of staying in the relationships where you are to a much wider principle that can be applied to other conditions of life. And Paul says, deeper than your marriage, deeper than your family, deeper than your relationships, deeper than your current situation is the call to obey God in your station of life right where you are. Are. This phrase, lead the life that he begins with, literally means walk in the manner or walk in the way. Do you ever want to know, God, what should I do? Well, he says, walk in this way. Here it is. And the principle to serve God where you are in your marital relationship in these verses goes public. Not only in your marriage, but everywhere, you are to serve him where God has assigned. Now, when you, uh, when you heard this read and when you look down at your bulletin or your Bibles and you read it again, there's a word that just appears again and again and again. Anybody see what word that might be? It's the word called, kaleo in Greek. And, and the word in Greek, kaleo, sounds like the English word call. You can hear kaleo. You can hear it. It appears nine times in this passage. And in, in, um, in, you know, in verse 17, only let each person lead the life to which God has called him. And then on down throughout these other six times. And then the, uh, the seventh time, eighth time, ninth time. Verse 24, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let them there remain. And in Scripture, the Bible uses the term call three different ways. First is this general call of the gospel to all mankind. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 22, 14, For many are called, but few are chosen. And he's referring to the worldwide call the gospel. We should proclaim the gospel to everybody within the sound of our voice. We should call them to faith. That's a worldwide call. Just like what Trey and Kiki are doing in Thailand. And just like what we do whenever we call and encourage other people in the gospel. And then secondly, there is a particular call by the Holy Spirit to renew you, to open your heart. The, the, the 50 cent word is to regenerate you, to make you born again. There is a salvific call of the Lord drawing you to himself. He is calling you to himself. And that term applies to Christians, to people who believe 
And so you see this, uh, for example, in, in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, that's the second use of this term call. Global call to everybody, particular salvific call when the Holy Spirit draws you to faith in him. You are called to believe. No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Called. And then three, there is a third call, a vocational call. That is a call to extend the Lord's transforming presence. The transforming presence of his kingdom to the world through your particular station in life. It is the term that we typically think of when we hear the word call around here because we talk a lot about vocation at Trinity. We pray for men and women in various vocations and it's the third core value of this church. We want you to rediscover your calling. The primary emphasis of that is on the third use of that term, your vocation. But you can't, as a Christian, extend your vocation until you are first, what? Renewed by the Holy Spirit, called by Jesus to believe, place your faith in him, and that experience comes through what? A general call the gospel. So there are these three different uses of the term call in Scripture. Do you see the distinction and the difference there? General call, specific salvific call, and then vocational call to where you will go and serve the Lord. Now, in this passage, nine times you hear this word call, and eight of those nine times, Paul is talking about this salvific call upon your life. He is saying you are to serve God. You are called by him. God called you to himself. He has opened your eyes to the gospel. This is how he uses the term almost every time, except in verse 20. And look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Each one should remain in the condition. That is the word call in Greek. In the call in which he was called. So there it is. And Paul's emphasis in this passage is to say, your deepest call is to serve the Lord as you are right where you are. And we know that Paul's emphasis is actually on this vocational call because that's the context of talking about marriage and our roles in society. And we know it's true because of the illustrations that he gives. He talks about family background and then he talks about your particular condition. Family background relates to your, um, your, your, your particular family uh, uh, background with all of the, the joys and baggage that that may bring. And when he talks about your condition, he's talking about your social or your economic position in life. And so let's look at those. First, your family background. Satan and the world would love for Christians to value any of our self-labels as being as important or more important than our relationship with Christ. And circumcision in the Greco-Roman world was one way that Jews proved themselves to be truly God's people. In fact, in the New Testament, especially in Galatians, you, you read of the influence that the Jews had on Gentile Christians, that when these Gentile Christians came to faith, they said, no, 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 no. If you're going to be a real Christian, it's not just faith in Jesus, but it's faith plus circumcision. No, 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 no. If you're going to be a real Christian in America today, it's not just faith in Jesus, but it's faith in you fill in the blank. What is it for you? And you know this to be true. 
You all have blanks you fill in. Faith in Jesus plus what? And in, from the earliest days of church planting, there were people who began to teach the gospel is not just about faith in Jesus. It is about faith plus a culture that you must wear. And every church, that's why we have members classes. Every church has a, culture, a particular culture. But that does not make it the essence of the gospel. It is just the trappings that exist that are in that environment. But if that church or the leadership of that church lets the culture of that church become more important or even close to being as important to the gospel, that church has sunk. So when it comes to controversial issues that are outside the bounds of what God clearly teaches, there will be people of differing opinions. But if those opinions rise to the point of your faith in Jesus, oh, beware. Paul says, may it never be. How do you chiefly define yourself? As if you actually had that kind of authority, you don't. But let's just say that you did. How do you chiefly define yourself? By your blackness, your whiteness, your political party affiliation? Your job as a mom, as a dad, as a good student. Like, you know you do this. What, what would break, um, what would tempt you to trade in Jesus in order to keep? You've all got them. House, career, security and retirement. So what are you more committed than King Jesus? Your family? Your nation? Your land? Your career? The team? Or what about respectable sins like your love of comfort? Your inability to confront? Greed? Peace and quiet? Donald Gray Barnhouse once said, what would this city look like? He was a minister in Philadelphia, but imagine if it was Tulsa. What would this city look like if Satan took it over? And Barnhouse says all the bars would be closed, the pornography would be banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. Children would say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and the churches would be filled every Sunday where Christ was not preached. And in a sense, circumcision was everything for the Jews. And Paul consistently rails against the self-righteous because salvation is not by your works at all, but it's by Jesus' works who's accomplished everything for you. And so Paul says to them, you serve God right here as you are. You do not need to become circumcised in order to be used by God. Serve him as you are. Serve him with all of your family background, for example. Serve him with all of the history that you bring. Your unique voice in preaching the gospel is his ordained instrument to extend his kingdom through you and all of your uniqueness. And he says, was anybody at the time of his call, of his conversion, uncircumcised? Don't seek to be circumcised. Circumcision counts for nothing so does uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God, that, that's what counts. Your deepest call is to serve God as you are, right where you are. It, it, 
there are, in fact, Jewish Christians who were changing their status in a Gentile world. It happened the other way around too, right? I mean, you hear this language in this passage about don't seek the marks of uncircumcision. How does that work? There, were, there, were, there was a surgical procedure that they used to do for Jews who lived in Gentile lands. When they would go to public baths, they would, be, they would, they would feel shamed because the Gentile world looked at Jews and they considered them despised people. And so Jews who were trying to climb the social ladders of the Gentile world would go through a surgical procedure by which they would become uncircumcised. That's the depth and the length to which they would go in order to be able to climb the social mobility ladder of the day. And Paul says, these distinctions don't matter, red or yellow, black or white. They are precious in my sight. Whatever your self-professed label or culture or color of skin or job or place you live or the way you were saved, you were saved by faith alone through his work. And so therefore, serve God as you are right where you are. But not only are you to serve God, whatever your family background may be, whatever nation you may come from, Jew or Gentile, you're also to serve him in whatever condition you find yourself. Now, before we talk about slavery, remember, slavery in the New Testament was not the chattel slavery that you think of, of uh, pre-Civil War era in the West, in America. To be a slave in the ancient Near East would be, it would be a means of employment for them. It would actually mean, in some cases, more financial security than being a freed man who had been formerly a slave because then you had to go and work and figure out how to start from scratch. You didn't have an employer. It's like those of you who've started businesses on your own, five months into that new business that you started, you're thinking, oh my gosh, that was so much better at that firm. It's hard. And so slavery often meant financial security for some of these slaves. And, and oftentimes they were considered part of their household. And so it's different than you think of slavery when you read about American history, for example. And Paul says that if you become a Christian, as a slave, don't let that bother you. If you can gain your freedom, all means gain it if you would like to gain it. But the point is that you are not primarily a slave or a freed man under the categories of men. You're free in Christ. And therefore, you are a bondservant, not to men. You're a bondservant to Christ, who is your true master. And even if you think you're freed, by the way, Jesus says, you're actually deep enslaved to whom? either to the ways of the world or to the Lord who is a good God who loves you and cares for you deeply. And so Paul is trying to put the focus for these Corinthians right where they are. And he speaks to those, not only couples, but singles also, who may have been in a, in a slaved condition and said, you are to serve God there, right as you are. Your deepest calling, Christian. If you're not a Christian, then your deepest calling is to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit drawing you to faith in Him. But for a Christian, your deepest calling is to serve God as you are, right where you are. So, what do you do with this passage as a church? I think there's at least four things. Let me apply it. Number one, Discontentment is a horrible spiritual disease. Most things kill you dead, but discontentment kills you alive. 
It robs you of the beauty of your present circumstances. When you're discontent, you're constantly living somewhere else. Mentally and emotionally, you never are able to connect with the people that are right there in your physical presence. It's a cancer of the soul. And you know this because you struggle with discontentment. I have struggled with discontentment. And if you're here and you're not a believer, then you may have seen your friends who claim to be followers of Jesus incredibly discontent. And they're talking about how they didn't have this and that. And I just want to say to you, I am so sorry they do that. And as Christians, we had to look at the possibilities that the Lord has laid before us because he is sovereign over our habitations he cares for us more than we know, and he did not make a mistake in what your address is or what your family background was. He uniquely crafted you, and when he did, he looked at you and he said, oh, that is perfect according to my will. And he wants to use you. And this, is, this life is not about you anyway. I mean, if we are really our people of God, it's about his kingdom. It's, it's not even about this church. It's about his kingdom, of which we happen to be a part of this local body together. It's about him. And so, discontentment is a cancer of the soul. That's number one. Number two, number one, look out for it. Number two, beware that in our day, upward mobility has become a god to many Christians. And its worship has polluted the church and destroys community. Always climbing. If we were honest, most people's default framework of viewing the world is almost exclusively economic before it's moral. That is, we worry most, uh, we worry quicker about money in the bank than we do about the salvation of souls of neighbors. Look for opportunities to live out your calling, whatever your job. This text implies that whatever job you have, whether it's a white-collar job or a blue-collar job, as, as long as you are there, that's God's assignment for you. Look at verse 17. He says, let each person lead the life, walk in the way the Lord has assigned to him. That like God has put you there for a reason. Is God not sovereign? The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Many are the plans in the minds of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 19. That Lot is cast into the lap. Proverbs 16. But every decision comes from the Lord. So friends, beware of discontentment. And heads up, upward mobility will rob you of the joy of serving God right where you are, right as you are. Thirdly, if you're in a job, can we just say, if you're in a job that is illegal or immoral, then this passage is not saying stay in that job. No, the West of wider scripture says get out. <laughs> get a job that is both moral and, yes, legal. And if you're in a job that is illegal or it is immoral, we are so glad you're here. Welcome. Please keep coming. Be part of our community groups. We love that you're here. And this is not to shame you in any way, shape, or form. It is simply to say that we would love as deacons of this church to come alongside you and help you find a better job. Because God will never call you to a job that is illegal or immoral. And fourth and lastly, um, for the younger people in this room who are still in school or those of you who are in grad school who haven't entered a profession yet, when you ask yourself, what is God's will for my life? In other words, what, what way should I walk, as it says in verse 17? 
you should give yourself the resounding answer that his will is that you are to walk with him through faith and repentance and devote yourself to obeying the commandments of God. That's his revealed will for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 says that his will for you is your sanctification. So you are to obey. Your deepest call, even now, is to serve God right as you are, right where you are. Even if you're a student, even if you don't have a, a vocation or a job yet that's able to provide for your needs. You are there to serve him in the school, in the classroom, in the place of your employment. You're, you're, you're there. That's, that's where he's put you. If you're retired, he's put you in an environment to love on your family with freedom of time that you didn't have when you worked. Do it. Be more concerned about obeying the commandments of God than looking around and always comparing yourself to other people. It is cancer. And I have no doubt that our covenant kids, if we devote ourselves to the Lord and we give him everything that we are, I have no doubt that we will See, in the years to come, in the decades to come, the Lord is going to distribute our covenant kids exactly where he wants their influence for the fame of his name and their deep abiding joy all over the earth. They may not live in Owasso. Parents, get ready. They may not live. They may be called like Trey and Kiki to Thailand. But he is the one who assigns them their boundaries of habitation. And their job is to serve him as they are right where they are. So in this context, Paul zooms out of marriage and he states the principle. He does it three times. Serve the Lord as you are, right where you are, verse 17. Serve the Lord right where you are, verse 20. Serve the Lord right where you are, verse 24. You can just hear an echo off the walls of this passage. Are you? Do you? Will you? Will we? How ridiculous it is to place ourselves back in a slavery of works righteousness again. As though we had to achieve some economic standing or achieve some sacred job in order to begin to serve God. No, you're to serve him now. And friends, that's the power of the Christian gospel. People who have radically diverse views, radically diverse standings with relative to whatever scale of the world you want to give, coming together in worship of the risen Lord who came and leveled the ground at the foot of the cross and says, you can be whole again. You are enough. You can change. You can have hope because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you, do I, do we want his best? What counts is following him. See his cross and pick yours up and follow your Savior. Because he's accomplished it all for you. You don't have to bear the weight of that cross. He took it upon himself for you to free you up to enjoy your calling and light of his work on your behalf. Your deepest call is to serve the Lord as you are, right where you are. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.